Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you. Uh, fine Wednesday where I am. I hope it's the same where you are and uh, heading uh, closer by the day to Christmas, of course, time of great expenditure and great joy hopefully in your household, and uh, you're going to enjoy this one, particularly those uh, up north who have not been able to enjoy too much in this last quarter of the year. So uh, all the best to you. Kendra Coxedge, just after 9 o'clock this morning, of course, uh, legendary Black Fern, uh, tough tour of the UK. We'll talk to her a little bit about that and uh, how they're going to get over it and plan for the future because uh, their next big goal, of course, is uh, the Rugby World Cup next year. Greg Murphy. Just after 9.30 this morning, Murph in his normal slot will uh, review Bathurst uh, and uh, some other motor racing matters, including, of course, Formula One, which is uh, all on this weekend, isn't it? Both uh, Hamilton and Verstappen level on points. Couldn't have scripted it better. Nico Porteous, uh, a young, brilliant freestyle skier, represents uh, New Zealand's already won a medal uh, at the uh, Winter Olympics, going for another one this time around, and they're not too far away. Ollie Ritchie, Guy Havelt, uh, the panel this morning, so much to discuss. Ali Martin from The Guardian, Ashes beginning this afternoon, every cricket writer's dream uh, to write stories about the Ashes, So, and he will have plenty to write about <coughs> in our uh, normal comedy slot this week. We've got Guy Montgomery. A lot of comics are, are genuine sporting fans, and Guy Montgomery is no exception. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, I must confess I'm not a huge reader outside articles on sport. I never have been. I wrote my own book but never read it and would never have bought it. So don't go buying me Whitcalls or Paper Plus vouchers for Christmas unless they are for Lotto. I do, however, take interest in the articles produced by Mark Reason on stuff. They are always thought-provoking, a large slice of devil's advocate at times. He has no long-term friends in New Zealand sport, no allegiances, has no fear of upsetting anyone, so therefore... He can shoot from the hip, and mostly he does it with supreme accuracy. I don't agree entirely with his latest offering, though, where he lords Kane Williamson as a great New Zealand captain whilst poking the borax at Tom Latham's skills in the same area. To to be fair, Williamson is a true leader, a great leader, but he's not a gambler. He's a great batsman, fantastic accumulator of runs, and after all, despite all the law changes and tinkering with the game, It's still about who's got the most runs, who wins. Williamson leads with the bat. That's his greatest skill. Latham, too, is a fine batsman. Also a great accumulator of runs. Will end up New Zealand's greatest opener, and that is not an easy job. Every time Williamson captains New Zealand in a test, 
he has Williamson and Latham. Every time Latham captains New Zealand in the test, he doesn't have Williamson. The defence should rest there, that's enough to convince any jury. Williamson blew a golden opportunity to beat India in Kampur, but was praised for saving a game. He let go. As a student of the game, he will no doubt be mulling over that. Does that make him a bad captain? No. Day in, day out, he's got the best all-round seam attack we've ever had. A strong arsenal. Latham, in the last test, had a tired-looking spent force with only one super standout in Ajaz Patel. Let's reserve our judgement on Latham until after the home summer. Again, he won't have Williamson, but he will have our conditions. He will monster Bangladesh. South Africa will be the barometer. I have an inkling the players really do quite enjoy the Latham approach, and regardless of what I or Mr Reason believe, he is the heir apparent. He will get better with every day in the job, will become a more calculating gambler, but will continue to front up every week, just like Mr Reason himself. And if he delivers half, half the same talking points, we shall all be better for it. Seven here on SENZ, and it's a very good morning to one of our greatest ever uh, female rugby players in Kendra Coxedge. Of course, Blackfern Matatu are coming up, and uh, Canterbury over the years, 2022 promises to be the biggest year ever for women's rugby in this country, hosting the Rugby World Cup. Uh, it's 10 months away, and uh, I think it's fair to say that the Blackferns have quite a lot of work to do. Uh, good morning to you, Kendra. Morning, Sylvie. How are you? Oh, look, I'm great. Always good to talk to you. I just uh, love the excitement in your voice about the game. And um, I, I just had a fire alarm in the background. I hope to think you're yeah, yeah, unsafe Yeah, sorry, we've just been talking. evacuated. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, I, I hope we can talk while you're evacuating. Yeah, yeah, I'm outside now. It's gonna, I think it's just... Oh, fun, cool. So we're good. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, that's cool. Uh, look, um, hey, next year, uh, I, mean, I imagine you're already thinking about it. It's going to be a bonanza for you girls. Yeah, get the Super Rugby um, OPEC off the ground. You know, in my career, I never thought this would kind of happen. So it's really exciting for the for the women's game. Um, and obviously, we've had two degrees come on board today, um, and they're partnering up with all the Super Rugby OPEC teams. And you know, they're huge around um, fighting for fair to make New Zealand a better place. So it's really fitting that they're um, being a part of the future of the women's game. Super Rugby OPEC kicking off in March. Uh, you must be super, super excited to be part of the. Um, uh, inaugural series and that. Uh, when does when does your team Matatu get together and start training? Uh, yeah, so Matatu we get together uh, in end of, end of February. So the competition starts in March. So it's a six six weeker, um, so two weeks of pre-season and then um, we have obviously four weeks of competition. And you know we're lucky down here a whole new brand and identity. So we're really excited about the the competition um, starting up. Um, and yeah, everyone's feeling pretty pumped about it. It's only four-week competition. Uh, I would imagine yeah, you girls would have liked it to have been a, a bit longer, if that, if possible. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, small steps. Um, you know, I guess at the moment we've only, we've only got um, four teams in New Zealand, so whether or not the, the future of the game is going to expand, um, which no doubt it will, so that's also exciting to see where the, the potential of where the competition can go. Um, but yeah, I guess, yeah, four, four games, um, it's going to be it's going to be competitive. Um, you've got the best of the best in the country playing off against each other in a World Cup year, um, so everyone's going to be obviously trying to compete for spots for World Cup team next year as well, so it's going to be a quality competition. And of course, uh, it's got a real professional edge to it, which uh, a lot of the, the younger ladies uh, taking part uh, perhaps haven't tasted yet. So it's going to be interesting to, just to see how all the squads adapt to that that side of the game. Yeah, I mean, we saw that the Blues play the Chiefs um, early this year and just I think the level and the intensity of it, um, you know, is going to be another level and it's good because it helps bridge that gap between the Farah Palmer Cup and Blackburn. So, um, you know, like I just I mean, the training, you know, in the off-season now is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be tough. Um, but, yeah, hopefully come competition time, um, it'll be another level of footy. All four teams' uh, head, uh, head coaches are men, but there would... I would imagine there's quite a lot of uh, female content in the assistant-type roles within the groups. Is that correct? Yeah, we've got a lot of female um, coaches that are involved with, with each of the teams, which is which is really exciting. Um, I have down here, we've got Whitney Hanson uh, on board, and she's you know she's been a part of the Black Ferns this year, and, um, and you know in terms of a, an intern role, she's been doing a lot more than that. She's been doing a lot of coaching, and you know she's she's real quality. So it's exciting for those coaches as well to have some experience at this level. Okay, let's uh, just, uh, if we can, dwell on uh, what's just happened and it's not easy to do from your point of view because uh, it's not very often you've, um, if ever I would imagine, been part of a side that's uh, lost four games in a row. Um, Not good, but as long as you learn something from it and I, I guess that's the key. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a tough tour, um, as, you, as you can imagine. Um, but, you know, we, we also had a lot of learnings, and I guess for us it was, you know, we, we really underestimated not playing Test footy for a couple of years, and it was tough to kind of get back into it. But at the same time, um, yeah, there were a lot of learnings. We learnt a lot as a team. Um, you know, come World Cup, we, we know what we need to work on, and, you know, I'm a huge believer. You know, obviously credit to England and France, too. They're two quality sides, and um, that's the best I've ever seen England play in my career. So... Um, you know, we know what we need to do as a team. We focus on ourselves for the next nine months and um, be ready for the World Cup. So, Kendra, what what are the key areas? I mean, they you know they they talk about rugby being one up front. Certainly, England were very powerful there. Where do you get the the strength and the physicality from, and and the period of time that you've got? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, there's about probably three things that I think we really need to focus on. It'll be around our kicking game as well. Um, that, that obviously let us down a bit, and quality of kicking that they, that, you know, that both England and France are doing was was world class. So that's going to be a big focus. And then obviously our set pieces uh, was something that was tough for us, and you know we're going to work on that. And we're lucky enough to have Connor support us throughout the this year as well. So it'll be small, small sets and we're getting more support from people like that. Uh, and then the other thing is just straight fitness. Um, you know, we've got to work hard over the next nine months um, if we want to, um, you know, perform well at the World Cup. Also, I imagine you need match play as a unit. I mean, that's, I guess, one of the reasons why England and France have been able to just forge away in the fashion that they have. They get a lot more consistent match play than, than you, you uh, girls have been able to get. So how are you going to get that to give you the edge? Yeah, we need. Yeah, you're right. We need test footy, and we need test footy against the likes of England and France as well. Like I know there's um, a few tests lined up before World Cup next year, which is really exciting. But I believe we need to be playing the top teams in the world, and that's England and France, and at some stage before World Cup. 
um, ideally we need to be playing them. Um, so, you know, I guess that's, the, I know that New Zealand are going to be working hard to get us some good good quality tests. Um, so let's see, we'll have to see how that pans out over the next wee while. Is 10 months long enough, you reckon, to, to, to bridge the gap that we saw? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm confident. We've also got some girls that, are needed, that have got a return as well. And I know, you know, with Super Rugby Opiki, that's going to help um, lift the standard of the game and playing at that high-quality level. Um, so I'm pretty confident with the with the group that we've got. You know, we've got all the off-field stuff right and we've connected really well as a group. And, you know, I know that there, there'll be some hard work that's going to be put in over over the next nine months. And, yeah, I'm confident that we'll, we can bridge that gap. Uh, so, uh, as you left, I mean, I mean, you're such a positive person in your own right. I, I don't think too much gets you down for too long. But as, uh, if you looked at the group, how do you just sense the group felt? Um, you know, perhaps the younger players who you know had expectations of of you know a better tour. How do you felt if, uh, as you left and as you disbanded? How did how did you think it, it ended up in that regard? Yeah, I mean, even for me, Smithy, like I was, you know, absolutely gutted. Um, you know, the, the, even after the, the, the second England England test, you know, like we we prepped really well and it felt really good. And then, you know, as you said before, like I haven't been part of a team that's lost four in a row quite like that. Um, and I and I felt, you know, I felt gutted for the young ones. I felt gutted for the new ones that have come into the team and they've only lost in the black jersey. And it's not something that we're kind of mm. we're kind of used to. Um, but um, they're, they're, they're positive, that's what I mean. We were really, it connected us a lot off the field. Um, we worked really well together and the young ones come off, you know, obviously really gutted as the father as well. But um, knowing that, I think, with a little bit of confidence going into into the, into this, uh, into next year, with, you know, with the Super Radio City and the, and the going back to high performance training environment, um, that, you know, there needs to be some work put in and I think everyone will kind of one of the other things, Kendra, which is very, very noticeable, was the level of support both both the English team and the French team had, and it, you could see uh, how they reacted to it and how the crowd reacted to them. That is vitally important for you girls at home, isn't it? Yeah, it is, man. That's what was amazing over there. Like the crowd and the support that they were getting to the games was was awesome. Um, and you know, we really need the the country to get them behind us next year. Um, and support us during this during this World Cup to get us, you know, to get it home. I would imagine one of the one of the hardest pills to swallow was that Waikato took that um, FPC title off you as well, <laughs> and you couldn't do anything about it. That that, yeah. that, that yeah, must have been very painful. Yeah, that was that was tough as well. Obviously, we were, um, you know, as yeah, I was running the water and being a part of that day, and it was there was kind of a strange feeling too. But credit to Waikato, they've performed really well the last couple of years, and you know they're a great quality side and got a good coaching group. So, you know, I guess at the end of the day, it sounds cliche, but it's it's really good for the women's game uh, for a team like Waikato to come through and win that. At the same time, obviously we're gutted here in Canterbury, um, but we'll come back fighting again next year. I'm sure you will, uh, uh, Kendra. It's it's tough. I mean, when you're um, in the spotlight and things aren't going well, and um, we've seen a couple of stories over the last couple of days, which are quite distressing. About uh, one of your great leaders, uh, Takura Nata Arangamate, has uh, had some issues over there as well. And uh, I guess that's just another example of uh, we take uh, a lot of sport for granted, but uh, even in a, a hugely warm team environment, it's pretty tough at times. Yeah, I mean it's 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 competitive rugby, right? And and it is tough, but you know we just hope that um, you know TK and and the coaching coaching group are getting the support that they need um, to kind of get through this. And you know New Zealand rugby is going through a review process at the moment, um, so yeah, I can't really comment too much on on that. No. Um, but yeah, just looking hope. forward to seeing how how it pans out for the rest of the year and kicking into it in twenty twenty two.
Yeah, I, I wasn't sort of expecting you to. I was saying it's just another example of what we've seen post Olympics, post a lot of other sports, and and you know, and and a lot of New Zealand sports are going through it at, the, at this time. Uh, the review process of how they go about things, and as I said, the rugby's not exempt from it either. No, it's not. It's and as you as mentioned, like it is, it's a, you know, it is a tough environment when you're when you're at the top and you're you know you're trying to compete at a, at a high level. Um, you know, it's, it, it does come with its challenges, and you know you've got to work through how, how it's, you know, the support that you need to to kind of get you through. Okay, so um, one of the things we're told about is uh, more conditioning. They got to, you guys uh, got to get stronger, fitter, etc. Like that. Does that does that allow you Christmas, Kendra Coxedge? Um, no, it's really important to, I guess, you know, have that Christmas break and connect back in with family and friends. Um, at the same time, you still got to, we've got to work hard. Um, you know, as we, I think there's a bit of a self-awareness piece there coming off that tour. I think a lot of girls are aware of, um, you know, what kind of just happened. So I no doubt there'll be uh, everyone enjoying family time and, and you know, and some and Christmas ham and Christmas treats. But at the same time, we're going to have to do a lot, you know, a lot of work and, and train hard. Um, I love training in summertime. Uh, it's the best time to train. It's sunny, it's warm. Um, so I actually really enjoy that time, um, but also I think it's important that everyone needs to connect back in with family and friends. When you, when uh, the group disbanded, um, you know, did, did you get the sense you might have been seeing some of your old teammates uh, in the black jersey for the last time? Or was there a collective, a collective um, resolve uh, to get it right next time around to, to fix what uh, we saw? Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing, right, that's, I guess, comes down to the coaching group. Um, you know, you kind of disband and you hope that's not the case, but the reality is in, in the world today that it could be, it could be the case that, you know, that some girls might not pull that back jersey on again. And, um, you know, and that's obviously gutting, but at the same time, I know that a few people are really fight and want to pull that jersey on. You know, a lot of, all of us that underperformed in the end of year tour, and we want to, you know, we want to work hard to make sure, you know, when you've got a World Cup at home, it's so motivating um, to be able to want to work hard to be able to pull that jersey on in front of family and friends. Hey, look, uh, first of all, have a great Christmas. Secondly, um, enjoy that experience with uh, Mata too. That sounds like it's going to be absolutely uh, absorbing. Uh, we'll, that'll get great coverage. We'll uh, be watching that. And, of course, uh, preparation for the next World Cup, that's the key. So, um, hey, thanks so much, uh, as always, Kendra, for making yourself available. And uh, enjoy the next few months. No problem, Smitty. Have a good Christmas. See you later. Yeah, cheers. Same to you. Uh, Kendra Cox is there, um, of course, um, former New Zealand Rugby Player of the Year. Uh, and also part of a group now that um, have uh, to uh, regroup uh, once selected, get amongst the squads and, uh, and really start to, to prepare well uh, for 2022. For most of them, it will be the biggest year of their rugby lives and uh, they're going to need a lot of help to bridge that gap and uh, uh, we can help, uh, we can get behind them, there's no doubt about that. So uh, there you go, well we've got uh, already a, a number of uh, text coming in on a number of issues, so keep them coming in on double eight, double three. Um, is Williamson uh, the greatest ever New Zealand cricket captain? Is he? He took us to the World Test Championship. Does that make him the greatest captain? Is he a great leader? Is he a great captain? Are they the same things? Is Latham as bad uh, as a captain as you, you kind of get the gist that Mark Reason was talking about? Or uh, is this, uh, Kane Williams, is Kane Williamson's absence certainly couldn't help Latham uh, in that regard. So a uh, little comparison of, of uh, Williamson v Latham. Uh, early days for Latham. Uh, but you, you've got to remember, every time he is the captain, he's the stand-in captain at the moment, and he doesn't have the greatest asset, which is Williamson the batsman. It is 9.21 here on SENZ.
from behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, Aidan's come in and said uh, on the basis that I don't read books very often, uh, I have a copy of uh, your outrageous comment, uh, Cricket Moments book. Let me know if you want it dropped over. Ha ha, Aidan from Havelock <laughs> North. No thanks, Aidan. Uh, actually, Joseph from Arnas did most of the work on that. If uh, We're pay- really, really honest about the whole deal. Um, uh, Dean's come in and said, uh, go to the races, Smithy. I'll handle your swim leg. Any oil, tell the punters that I'd do that. If I go, I'll, I'll let you know, Dean, if I find out anything. Um, I did. I must say that I was drinking with John Barry last night, and he was asking uh, someone, "How do you put a really big bet on?" So I'm not quite sure what he was relying there, uh, what what he was relating to. I'll see if I can find out uh, more about that. Um, yeah, we've got a question in from Craig, uh, and that is uh, relating to Murph, and then Murph's coming up over after 9:30, Craig. So stay listening, and I'll certainly ask him that question on your behalf. Uh, and uh, Jerry, g'day, Jerry. Jerry's come in and said, uh, "Do you realise that 40 years, 41 years ago, something major happened in our lives? It was announced on Monday Night Football during a break and play by the great Howard Cassell uh, when it happened. 41 years ago, yeah, he was commentating uh, a game of Monday Night Football, and the world was shocked uh, by the death of this fellow." there and we lost one of the great talents of music and art or whatever you like one of the great characters of the world uh, and John Lennon so Jerry thanks for that reminder um, very poignant indeed this day 41 years ago Mark has come in and said uh, hi Smithy the greatest captain I, I can remember is Stephen Fleming he was a thinker did things out of the ordinary and was aggressive when needed Kane is a fantastic player but I feel he lacks the aggression as a captain as was evident in India. I hope Latham does a great job over the coming summer. Can't wait to see how the team goes under his leadership, yeah, when it's not just a, a one-off. I think uh, we'll, we'll get a better gauge on Tom Latham over a period of time, uh, not just one. And uh, who wouldn't uh, mind having Kane Williamson at three if you were captain? Uh, and an informed Ross Taylor. And an informed Tom Latham and Devin Conway. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I, I reckon uh, even Brian Rariri could captain New Zealand. Uh, with that kind of uh, with that kind of batting lineup, mm. um, okay, uh, it's coming up uh, to nine thirty. Uh, so please keep those coming in. Double eight double three is our text number. Uh, we're going to have Murph uh, shortly after the break, and then uh, as I alluded to earlier, Nico Porteous, this exciting young free skiing talent that we've we possessed in this country. Don't know a lot about him. Hope to uh, after ten o'clock find just uh, a little bit more. Uh, it's news time with Trudy. here on SCNZ Uh, and uh, the supercar season is over 
and the Formula One title race is coming down to the last Grand Prix of the year with Lewis Hamilton and Mark Max Verstappen tied at the top of the stand standings and going at it in Abu Dhabi. Uh, to talk about these things, we're lucky to be joined by our supercars legend and our a man, Greg Murphy, here on SENZ, host of Race Control on 7pm uh, tomorrow night. Murph, good morning to you. So it's over and done with. Uh, Bathurst is... Uh, um, it's been and gone again, quite sadly. And and Ch Chaz Mottert was absolutely uh, superb over the weekend, wasn't he? He was. He, um, yeah, they they rolled that car, the twenty five car, out of the the truck and put it on the racetrack. And um, it's one of those weekends that uh, you just seemingly can't do no wrong, and uh, everything goes so smoothly. And I was talking to Lee Holdsworth yesterday about it, and you, you're just waiting for something to go wrong because you just go, it cannot be this good, and it cannot uh, go so smoothly the whole way through, and that's what happened for those guys. And, and um, you know, rightfully so, they, they ended up walking away with the big trophy because they, they both did a, a superb job uh, right the way from practice one on, on um, Thursday all the way through the last lap on, on Sunday, and Chaz Mosley setting the a new benchmark fastest ever lap time around Bathurst in the shootout uh, on Saturday afternoon was just uh, was just stunning, absolutely stunning. Yeah, I mean, uh, he was uh, clearly, uh, clearly uh, the, the quickest at times, as you say. Uh, there was a yellow flag for an echidna on the track. Have you ever seen that before in your travels? <laughs> oh my goodness! No, no, that's uh, that's a first. Um, a first in car racing, I think. So another piece of history for the history books. Uh, we've had um, obviously the odd uh, kangaroo running around the place, which has uh, caused a few dramas in its time. But um, uh, yeah, the uh, the old animal activists wouldn't have been um, been too happy if uh, old Mister Echidna had been squashed by a supercar. So um, that actually played quite nicely into the 25 hands as well. Just uh, that supercar came at a, a, a pretty good time for them to. Uh, jump to the pit lane and um, get themselves back on the same strategy effectively um, as, as uh, the other front runners, um, Shane Van Gisberg and Cam Waters and the like. So, um, yeah, there was a bit of bit of uh, fortuitous sort of uh, timing there for, for those guys, but their car speed at the end of the day was, uh, um, you know, has been has been mentioned by everybody else in the field and especially, I think, Shane Van Gisberg and who literally threw the kitchen sink and um, everything else at uh, the challenge there to, to try and beat the 25 uh, on Sunday and he uh, he's one clever race car driver Shane Van Gisberg and he, he tried everything including um, you know some on track stuff that uh, probably no one else would have thought of by trying to back the field up and get his teammate in on the act which actually did work um, he managed to get uh, uh, Jamie Wincup around um, Chaz and also I think Anton Bibsquale got around him at the same time which put him on the back foot there for a little bit and uh, you know that was that's how much and how desperate Shane was to to try and work a way to um, you know get around the speed that uh, Chaz had in that car. So it was it was enthralling, absolutely enthralling day. Quite a romantic story though, the one about the co-driver though, Lee Holdsworth for, for mine. Yep. I mean, uh, he's been to uh, so many of these Bathurst events. Uh, here he is uh, in his 18th attempt, standing on top of the podium. Now that's a great story of longevity. Hi, oh, and he's. I can honestly t say uh, Lee is one of the absolute, uh, you know, decent humans in the pit lane. He's just a, a wonderful guy. Um, you know, great race car driver. You know, he's got a story like many where 
you know, a little bit of wrong place at the wrong time kind of thing as well. Um, I think he's proven himself plenty of times, and he should still be full time in the championship. He would, uh, he's a, he's, a, you know, of a caliber that deserves to be there, and, and just works very, very hard. And he's just, he's, he's a uh, funny guy, uh, great talent, the whole thing, and, and it's, it is, it's a good story. Uh, someone like him picking up a, a win and having that trophy, um, you know, on his mantelpiece. So, you know, and, and Chaz, you know, deserves it as well, deserves another another win. He's worked very hard. And that team at WAU, run by uh, Ryan Walkinshaw, um, who um, really has uh, matured as a team owner in the last few years, and he's put together a, a phenomenal uh, team now with um, some very, very talented people that just goes to show he is absolutely committed for the future and supercars to... You know, to become um, you know what it, uh, I suppose the the power used to be when they were the Holden Racing team when his dad was TWR running the race team and, and being so successful. You know, a number of years ago now. I mean, that that team hasn't had a lot of success uh, now for you know. Well, wow, I think we're talking probably way back. Uh, you know, it's probably coming up eight, nine, ten years ago since it really had some you know some last decent success and it lost the Holden Racing team um, sort of uh, label. Um, you know, quite a few years ago now too. So they've been through a bit of a struggle streak, and uh, but now I think he's um, rebuilding it back to be, you know, something great. Uh, we mentioned uh, Shane Van Gisbergen every week uh, on the show. Now we can look yeah. at this whole year, <laughs> whole year, whole year in review, I guess, Murph. And, and the other thing, of course, is to to look forward to uh, 2022. Is there anything to suggest that he won't repeat again? Um, I think there is a few things that are going to make his life harder in 2022. Um, you know, he uh, he showed this year he came out the out the gate, you know, absolutely firing on all cylinders and and just you know pretty much got an unassailable kind of lead um, very early on. Um, but that was with you know uh, the likes of Anton Di Pasquale, uh, you know, Will Davison being two new drivers at uh, DJR. You know, Pinsky was gone. DJR has taken over, so they, they, you know, Scott McLaughlin was gone, so that was a, a full review, and that's that was a, a reset for those guys. Um, and there was a few, you know, a few other changes around the place as well, which which sort of created, I suppose, a bit of instability in some operations. Whereas Red Bull, you know, were very stable and, and had, um, you know, a, a fantastic, uh, um, uh, you know, a base to to continue building on and. And I think next year with the likes that, you know, I think you know, you're going to have a bit of pressure from Anton Di Pasquale and I think the, the Erebus guys have shown that they have come on strong and found some pace. I just think it's not going to be as straightforward for Shane, um, but he's got all the tools in the arsenal to, to be able to, to back-to-back again, you know, and do another champ- have another championship in his, in his pocket, no question about it, because he is so such a smart driver and he manages mm-hmm. to make the best of a bad day like, like no one else. Um, so you know he's uh, you know definitely going to come out the gate as a as as probably the guy that everyone's got to try and beat, um, but I just don't think it will be as straightforward as as what it uh, was in 2022. But um, you know, it, it, which makes it great for us because it means that the the championship the the competition is going to be even more exciting to watch. Murph, uh, we'd love to get your reflections on uh, Jamie Wincup now that uh, his career as a full time driver is. Is over. Where does he sit uh, in the pantheon of uh, supercar drivers for you? Yeah, definitely, definitely the goat. As far as I'm concerned, I think uh, everyone's concerned. You know, the greatest um, you know supercar driver of all time. Really, just based on those statistics, his numbers are just are just ludicrous. I mean, they they really are. What's he up to now? 100 and what? You know, something wins or whatever it is. I mean, it's just it's just insane. 
um, his his consistency. Um, you know, he was he was also controversial around things that he did and, and caused a, a bit of angst for the team and bits and pieces over his years. But he was he he. No one can ever say that Jamie was not one hundred and ten percent committed to the cause and to winning, and and his focus around work ethic and and how you've got to go about it to to be successful. Um, you know, it sits right up there at the top of the, the pedestal for everyone else to try and emulate. You know, he uh, he's achieved just um, uh, just incredible things. And you know, his time uh, his timing to go to Triple Eight was was obviously very clear and, and very good, and and worked uh, a treat for him in, in being able to build himself into the driver that he became and the, the driver that he is. Um, and uh, you know, he's, it's going to be very hard for anyone to ever, you know. You know, knock that off the top. Seven championships is just just outrageous. It really is in this modern era. Mm. Um, it's it's crazy. So, you know, uh, he deserves everything he's got. There's no no doubt about it. Uh, you know, and unfortunately for him, you could see that he was, uh, you know, the the finish on the weekend was was you know we know it's not what he would have wanted, and it was clear to see that you know there was a bit of emotion there with that for him. That um, you know, it, it sort of it wasn't the ending in his full time career that. Uh, Really, probably he deserved, but also, um, yeah, yeah, certainly isn't what he wanted. He wanted to be racing for the for, at the top, at the front, and trying to win that race. And they never really had uh, had that in the arsenal all day long, um, and that would have been very frustrating for Jamie not to be able to to be in control of his destiny at the finish or, or, or during the day. You know, I think the car for both um, he and Shane just uh, they just didn't quite nail it, and uh, and uh, yeah, they didn't they didn't have what it would it. What what they needed to to be able to to fight the way they want to fight. Murph, uh, two a.m. this Monday morning. Uh, all eyes on uh, Abu Dhabi. It is um, the conclusion, and I I got to say the conclusion that we're all looking for because of the comeback uh, late in the season of Lewis Hamilton. They are all tied up. Uh, Verstappen in trouble uh, in the last race for a, a erratic braking. I mean, this is a finale. Uh, dreams have made of uh, Formula One this year. Well, I've, I've... I've never heard the commentators uh, in, in such confusion. Um, and I think everyone was in mass confusion. Uh, the race at Jeddah uh, was something that we've never witnessed before. With the, 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 well, there was restarts, there was safety cars, there was crashes, there was give back positions, there was people doing things that, um, you know, that were being questioned the whole way through. The officials didn't know, I think, what they, what they needed to be doing. Um, it, it, it's become, you know, such an incredible story this season, and it has been incredible. And it will be will be tearing um, people apart because of of who they support and and um, the, the emotion around, you know, who you which side of the fence you're on, Red Bull or Mercedes. Um, the arguments and just the, 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 the that competition that they've got going on there off the track, let alone on the track, is is yeah, is what. Um, you know, fiction's made of. It's just, it's hard to comprehend or believe is even, you know, real. Um, and on the weekend, it was just, a, a, yeah, some of the stuff that was going on. And I, and Max Verstappen was uh, penalised 10 seconds for, at the end of it all, when stewards looked at it all, for uh, a, a brake pressure, um, which, which they deemed was the cause of Lewis Hamilton hitting the back of his car. And, okay, that's fine. But no one really has uh, come out and... And spoken properly, and also um, evaluated that situation where Max slowed down to let Lewis pass, and they have sort of brushed around the edges of it because when a competitor slows down, and you're in a car race, and there's no yellow flags, no safety cars, no nothing, 
I last time I checked, the idea was to pass that person and beat them and win, mm. and that's the whole idea of competition. Yet Lewis Hamilton chose to slow right down behind Max Verstappen to a point where he's in third gear um, to actually be in that position where Max, you know, hit the brake for whatever reason he did it, and ended up in that situation. And and I'm like, well, why why isn't Lewis penalised for actually not um, passing that car? I mean, I don't. There's probably not a rule in there that allows that to happen. But, but at the end of the day, I think Lewis was very complicit in that whole situation, and and I find it just uh, staggering that that's the games that they were playing. It's just um, incredible. So we go down to the wire this weekend, and Abu Dhabi will decide it. And who knows what is possible? Because think about the wildest possible scenario, and you probably still won't get to where it's going to end up on the weekend. Murph, a quick one for you from Craig from Bay of Plenty said. Uh, you were with uh, Rick Kelly when uh, you're in car 15, not 51, and he wants to know why you weren't in 51 for that reason. Uh, that was 2004 when we won. Uh, we were in the 15 car. Uh, yeah, we had some strange ideas back then about what we needed to be do to be fair and equitable between the two cars and um, and also the two teams that were running the two cars throughout the whole season in 2004. So the 15 car and the 51 car, obviously we've got our own our own people that work on those cars and then when, when you get to Bathurst, we were sharing a car, which you can't do these days, and um, the team just wanted to make it fair that the, the crew that worked on the 15 um, got their fair share of having the lead car, um, uh, whereas last, the year before it had been the 51 crew had been the, uh, the team that ran the lead car. So it was just, just about sharing it around a little bit and, and um, you know, giving everyone in the team a chance to, to be a part of, of um, you know, the lead car at Bathurst. And so that's, that's how that played out in 2004. Cool, Murph. Uh, enjoy talking to you, of course, uh, and I shall uh, enjoy tomorrow night listening uh, to uh, your show, Race Control, uh, and uh, we'll get even and more guests about uh, supercars, I'm sure, uh, on Murph and McIver's show at that point. It is uh, 9.46 here on SENZ. Keep sending those texts in about captaincy. Uh, who is your favourite New Zealand cricket captain? Um, some of the older people will have views. I've had Jeff Howe thrown me at me. Uh, we'll talk about that more when we come back. Thing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 9.51 here on SENZ. Morning, Smithy. On the subject of captains, one name that doesn't get mentioned is Jeff Howarth. Uh, I know he had a few issues, but as a youngster, I had this impression he was a very good captain. I'd be interested to hear your views on him. Outstanding. Best captain I ever played under, Jeff Howarth. Um, without doubt at all, he was uh, ahead of his time. A forward thinker. He was aggressive. Uh, put team first. Uh, and, uh, you know, he had uh, some pretty good artillery to work with during his time. Uh, one fellow by the name of Hadley I can think of. Some good batsmen in the ranks as well, including himself. Um, Jeff Howarth, a phenomenally good player. Uh, scored 100 in each innings of a test match. Uh, but uh, he certainly was uh, very, very innovative and uh, one of the reasons why one-day cricket uh, became so popular in New Zealand in the pyjama era was because of the way Jeff Howarth adapted to it uh, quicker more than most captains. Had some great thoughts about it. Was brought up through the county system in Surrey. Uh, a lot of great friends and colleagues. Still has uh, actually uh, in England during that time. Great, great friend of the late Bob Willis. So uh, he was cricketer through and through. Jeff Howarth, and uh, certainly for me, uh, the best captain I, I played under. And perhaps because he was the first Test captain I played under, and uh, he left a lot of impressions on me. So uh, Jeff Howarth, uh, unlucky, very unlucky, uh, not to captain New Zealand to a Test victory in the nineteen. 19- 80 test match against uh, Australia at the MCG. New Zealand were completely and utterly robbed uh, on that occasion. So 
Uh, we'll come to uh, John very shortly. John's got an update on the weather from Brisbane, uh, but we've got a multi to uh, get through too, so uh, we'll get to that and hopefully John before 10. The stumps to behind the mic. You're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the hold Know when the fold Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, yesterday the Buffalo Bills in trying conditions uh, were poor at home, to be fair. Uh, Josh Allen, no good at all, so the Patriots got up and beat them. So today we go to the Brooklyn Nets to beat the Dallas Mavericks, the Lakers uh, to beat the Celtics. They're both at $1.69. And I'm going to throw in Australia to beat England in the cricket as well to win the first test. They usually do at the Gabba, so I'm throwing that in as a no-surprise bet. Um, and uh, on the basis that uh, you'll have to wait till the end of that test match to get your money, but I think it's a good investment, and I'll throw in another cricket one tomorrow depending on how the game has gone. But, John, all importantly... Uh, of course, uh, are they going to play today? That, that's the thing we heard Ian Healy say yesterday. There's been a lot of rain around Brisbane. Yeah, he did, and he said bowl first, which took me by surprise. Mm. And yeah, we're about three hours away from the first delivery, and the weather forecast for Brisbane that says partly cloudy, an 80% chance of showers, most likely from late this morning, with a chance of a thunderstorm, a thunderstorm possibly severe. So I wouldn't be surprised, Smithy, as there was some delay in play at some point, but only showers and thunderstorms, so hopefully they clear pretty quickly because we're all thirsty for yep. some ashes. We sure are. We sure are. We can't get enough of the ashes, and uh, that's, of course, live on Sky this afternoon. Uh, it's coming up to uh, 10 o'clock here. We've got uh, Nico Porteous straight after 10 o'clock. Uh, just time to uh, answer a quick question. Uh, remember Flem being described as uh, one of the best captains of his era. Who was the Aussie Open batsman that we kept bowling to? Wide of Ostrump and getting him out caught at point. That was Damien Martin. Damien Martin was the Australian batsman. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're going to change direction. We're going to go from summer to the middle of winter after the break. Looking forward to uh, chatting something extremely new and exciting. Here's Trudy, it's 10 o'clock. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Winging, literally spinning to win like a top. We might see two 1620s. Count it, there's one. Will we see back to back 1620s? He does. Alley oop double to follow it up. So much technicality. He is fired up. Did you hear that reaction? Without any fans here, it's still super loud down there. Well, they're pretty excited about watching that, weren't they? Uh, we're just 58 days away from the Winter Olympics in Beijing, and one of New Zealand's medal hopes is freestyle skier Nico Porteous, who, of course, claimed bronze back in uh, 2018. Uh, currently, uh, Nico is in Colorado, where he's just finished his final training run before tomorrow's Copper Halfpipe World Cup event. So uh, it's a big welcome from New Zealand to Colorado to uh, Nico. Uh, how was training this morning, mate? Kilda, uh, yeah, it's going going super well. Um, thanks for for having me on the show, and yeah, we just wrapped up training um, for the first World Cup of the season um, this morning. So uh, everything's going really, really well, and um, yeah, excited to kick things off. So, what does training entail for you? I mean, as a, a you know, you're just a kid anyway, so you you'll be uh, naturally physically fit. But um, is that something you have to work on, or is it just basically technique all the time? No, so 
training um, for us, like obviously we're in quite a um, not so much of an endurance sport, so we don't require too much fitness. Although um, I do see myself as being as fit, um, but uh, yeah. So an average day of training for us is, uh, involves going skiing and and working on um, working on things uh, that will help us better our run. So uh, for example, this morning. Um, I was working on some tricks that I hope to do tomorrow and uh, just making sure that everything's ready to go, putting the final touches, and, um, yeah, it's go time. Is there a Kiwi contingent over there with you, Nico? What was that, sorry? Uh, are there Kiwis around you over there, or is it, are you on your own? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, so there's a, there's a, quite a few here. Um, um, I'm with my, my coach, Tommy, and, and my brother, Miguel, and then, um, there's also uh, two other uh, young Kiwis who are competing, Ben Harrington and Dave Lignowski, both from Wanaka. So um, there's quite the family um, sort of around. So for, for the uninitiated, it's a relatively new sport uh, for me, I've, I've got to confess. Uh, your event and skiing in the half pipe and putting uh, t- uh, tricks together. So can can you just give us more detail about how you go putting uh, together each run and, and how you go away uh, about the planning to get those those extra points? Yeah, so um, the sport of half-pipe is, um, there's no rules. You can do whatever you want. Um, and yeah, so how I will construct a run is um, working towards my strengths. And so, um, yeah, it all starts with the idea and then you go through working on that trick on a trampoline and then you'll go on to um, an airbag which is a big uh, vinyl blow up pillow pretty much um, that you take off on snow and then land on this airbag and creates a safe environment to learn this trick Um, and from then uh, we take it to the final step which is doing it on snow Um, yeah so there's there's a lot of risk involved but everything's calculated Um, and yeah it's it's a learning process and and uh, it's part of the reason why I do it is I really really uh, enjoy that process. Have you always loved it, mate? Is it, when did you get into it? I mean, I, I'm talking to you as if you're an old man, but for God's sake, I mean, you were so damn good <laughs> that so young. I mean, you, you performed a feat at the age of 14, which no one else has ever, ever done. I, I, I think one person's done it since, but at the time, no one else had, had done it. Uh, talk about how you were able to do that at the age of 14, for God's sake. Oh, oh the old, the old um, <laughs> triple court. Yeah, um, so that that was, um, <laughs> to be honest, that got blown way out of proportion, eh? So um, that was, I was the youngest at that time to do it. Um, and, and you know, our sport progresses so, so fast. And nowadays that, that trick is considered um, a warm-up trick. It's not even, um, it's not even considered a high-level trick at this point. And so... Um, the sport of free skiing is is constantly progressing and um, and is and is moving at such a, a high pace that um, you know things can change in six months, pretty much, um, which is which keeps it really exciting. Nico, uh, fifty eight days, mate. Fifty eight days to uh, the Winter Olympics in Beijing. Uh, you've got memories of uh, success on being on the podium uh, at a Winter Olympics already. So. Um, all going well, fit and healthy. You you must enter this one with uh, a good degree of confidence. Yeah, you know, well, 
58 days seems pretty close. Um, time time has really flown by in the past four years. Um, but in saying that, it's gone it's gone extremely slow. You know, I feel like I've grown up and and changed a lot uh, as a person and as a skier. And um, currently, I'm feeling really really good going into this games. Um, I've got all my tricks that um, I'm hoping to do when it counts. And um, yeah, compared to the last games, it's it's a bit different this time around. You know, I've been um, going pretty flat out on the on the World Cup half flight circuit since then, and so I'm lot lot more used to competing. Um, at that higher level and uh, yeah well, I'm really excited to wear the silver fern on my chest and, and represent New Zealand um, on the world stage at the Olympics Well I mean and the reason I say confidence I mean you've, you've done it before but uh, this has been such a great year for you you've won uh, world championship gold you've won X Games gold I mean you couldn't really have asked for much more this year could you? No I, I couldn't it's been such a dream year um, <laughs> like Achieving two childhood dreams in the same year is, um, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And, and um, just reflecting back on, on how the year has gone so far, um, yeah, it's been an absolute wild ride. And, you know, in saying that, I do have to put that behind me. You know, I've got, a, I've got another season ahead of me now. And, um, you know, like I said, the sport progresses a lot, a lot, um, you know, really quickly. And so, um, yeah, this year I think will be a lot different and, uh, I'm feeling really good and, and excited, um, but yeah, just sort of just sort of amping and, and uh, getting ready to get started. Uh, hey Nico, I'm not a tax man by any stretch of the imagination, but it, just uh, for those people listening in, uh, can you make a decent dollar out of it? Can it be a, a job, as such? Yeah, I am. I am. Um, I am lucky enough with the support of my sponsors and. Um, you know, I've got a great, um, great team around me, and so um, yeah, I can, I can um, make a living off of it, which is, which is very um, cool to be able to say. I, I wouldn't uh, by any means call it a job, though. Um, although there are some days that are harder than others, and you definitely have to overcome your challenges and and um, road bumps. But overall, it's it's my passion, and um, yeah, it's it's you know gets me out of bed in the morning. It's what I love to do. And um, I guess I'm in a pretty lucky situation where uh, I get to call my absolute, well, my passion, my job, which is crazy. Mm. It is crazy. Now, hey, uh, one of the interesting things that came out of uh, the last Olympics was uh, around uh, Simone Biles. And she she talked about a thing called uh, the twisties, where she just absolutely lost confidence in her ability uh, to be in the air and uh, be confident about what what was going to happen at the end of a a somersault or a twist or whatever they were that was called the twisties you ever experienced anything like that yeah i have um experienced uh, a lot of situations like that I, I wouldn't say to her um to the extreme that she would have felt it you know with the pressure of um the u.s and and the public and um and just you know her previous success and how amazing of an athlete she is um, I wouldn't say I felt that sort of pressure, but I have, I have definitely had moments where um, it has completely broken me um, as as a human, and uh, yeah, you lose all confidence and and you feel completely down in the dumps, and and that's that's a horrible feeling because it's something you know when you go out and ski every day, and then you know it takes one crash or it takes one you know stuff up to completely lose all your confidence, and then 
you know you have to you have to build that back and and that doesn't just come instantly and so um it's definitely something that you can always uh, is is always uh, something to be aware of but um yeah definitely have my moments like that for sure i think every athlete has yeah i mean uh, whilst there is uh, you know and, and we see it when we see it it's the event time right and the crowd there's atmosphere there's there's comp- competitors around you all the time but there must be very lonely times and single-minded times where you have to i mean and you're such a young guy uh, to remain very disciplined self-disciplined and and almost selfish about uh, your preparation yeah i mean um well, it's hard. I haven't really uh, put too much thought into this. But it's it's you definitely go through your highs and lows being on on tour and away from your family and um, and friends back home in New Zealand, and especially in a situation like this where um, you know COVID is a thing. And and with um, MIQ being there, you know, I, this year unfortunately we can't go home to to um, see the family at Christmas, or you know, um, but it's just one of those things that you have to be willing to sacrifice. Uh, in order to pursue your dreams and it's lucky enough that I do um, have an amazing support team around me my family my coach um, mm. Snow Sports New Zealand my sponsors that that back me every single step of the way so that I can go out there and and do what I have dreamt of as a kid um, and so that's pretty special you uh, I mean you're only 20 years of age but because you've achieved uh, so much at such a, an early age. I guess um, you're regarded as one of the favourites and a bit of a, a, a marked man. Do you do you see yourself as that amongst the amongst the group as a, a sort of a, a target, a marked man? Well, um, not really, to be honest. I don't tend to pay too much attention to that sort of stuff. Um, that's yeah. I, I sort of see that as. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't feel like I... Uh, I sort of see it as a little bit of a waste of energy if I were to pay attention to that sort of stuff because at the end of the day, you yeah. can't control that. Um, and all, all you can control is, is going out and skiing at your absolute best on the day, you know? And, um, yeah, I just put my absolute all and, and everything into that so that I can perform at my best when it counts. Tell us a wee bit about um, those those uh, free skiers uh, who uh, you've you see as the biggest rivalry. Who, who are the hardest to beat at the moment for you? I would say, yeah, the, the hardest to beat at the moment um, would be Alex Ferreira. He's a, um, yeah, a US guy out of Aspen. Um, he has some insanely, um, yeah, he's he an extremely decorated half-pipe skier and um, he's an incredible person to watch. And so, um I really enjoy watching him ski, but at the same time, he is so, so good. And, and um, you have to be really on form to, um, yeah, to beat him, I guess. It's a great, great camaraderie amongst the, the group because I imagine whilst, you know, a lot of young kids would, uh, would love to do what you're doing, only uh, very, very few around the world are able to do it. Um, and so quite a select group. Great camaraderie as a travelling group? Yeah, amazing camaraderie. We're all... We're all best mates. Um, like, yeah. I mean, when it comes to comp time, we obviously respect each other's boundaries and, and understand that we're each our own competitors and um, we do things a different way. But as soon as we're at the bottom after a competition run or travelling or 
um, or training, we're all just really good mates. And I think it, it comes down to the fact that we all realise that we're we're equally putting the same amount of, um, well, we're equally putting our, our body on the line. Um, you know, we are in a dangerous sport and, and things do go wrong. People get injured and um, and I think we all realise that and um, it's sort of, we sort of bond off of it and, um, yeah, so we're all really good mates and, and uh, really share a passion for uh, for skiing. I don't expect that you're going to divulge any great secrets here, but uh, back-to-back 1620s at the X Games, we just heard that commentary. Uh, so that's spinning around four and a half times yeah. twice in a row. I mean, uh, how do you top that? What, what's the icing on the cake there, so to speak? Um, yeah, I've actually got a couple of things in the works. Um, so, yeah, I've got some exciting things coming up that I'll hopefully be able to pull out um, at X Games or the Olympics. And um, I guess we'll see what happens. You know, I've always wanted to be someone that wants to push the sport um, and to and to leave their mark on on um, on half pipe skiing. And so, um, hopefully, hopefully, I can continue to do that. And um, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, we'll we'll have to have to see what happens. Well, you're going to have a white Christmas. There's no doubt about that, being uh, where you are. But um, you're going to have a busy Christmas as well, as you said, 58 days. Uh, how many events um, can you cram in before the Olympics? Yeah, so we've got five events um, until the Olympics. So World Cup this week, event next week, and then four days off, two, and then we fly to Canada, two events in Canada over New Year's, um, then a week off, X Games, and then the Olympics. Uh, Nico, uh, thanks very much for your time today. It's been quite enlightening, actually. It's a totally new new sport for me, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of our listeners as well. Uh, we found out a lot more about it and a lot more about you. So uh, I'd love to see you standing uh, on that dais uh, in Beijing. That would be something absolutely special. So uh, prepare well, Christmas well, and um, and have fun. It sounds like you're, you're living the dream. So good luck to you, man. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers for having me on the show. No, thank you. Uh, it's been a delight, absolute delight. Uh, Nico Porteous there, and uh, what, what an impressive young man. And just, an, just another one, just another one of the young kids uh, who are just uh, going about their business overseas, making the ultimate sacrifice to leave home. Uh, this guy is so young. Uh, could you believe uh, that he's only 20 years of age? 20 years of age. Uh, and you hear him talk about his sport, uh, but the common sense approach for it uh, is so grown up. You can see why he's so damn successful about it. Uh, that, I love that. Uh, that was cool. Uh, it's uh, 10.19 here on SENZ. Uh, keep an eye out for him in the Winter Olympics. Uh, I shall be. Uh, when we come back, uh, we will have a panel for you. Uh, and this morning, it's Ollie Ritchie and Guy Havel. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, this is going to be fun. Ollie Ritchie and Guy Havelt are the panel this morning, two very, very astute and knowledgeable uh, young men on matters of sport, I'm sure. And because of that, they will both be looking forward to this afternoon from the Gabba. I am sure, Ollie Ritchie, we shall begin with you. The Ashes, one of the great rivalries in sport. Oh, I'm so excited, Smithy. I really am. And I think because of all the drama that's happened in, in Australian cricket over the past couple of months, 
uh, a couple of weeks rather. Um, I think it had just you know a, another layer of excitement. Really, you know, no campaign at Cummins first time as, uh, as Australian skipper Steve Smith back into the leadership group as, as vice captain and, and what sort of role he plays. Um, oh, it, it's going to be an absolute beauty. Um, unfortunately, I think Australia are probably going to get it all their own way uh, the next five days. Mm, interesting. Uh, we heard from Ian Healy yesterday. Normally in Australia, you just bat, 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 bat when you win the toss. Uh, but like India, actually. But uh, then again, uh, sometimes you bowl, and Ian Healy said this might be one of those rare occasions that you bowl Guy Havelt. So um, the, the, the name that is uh, slightly flying under the radar a wee bit is Ben Stokes. But I think that's a good thing. He's uh, getting ready uh, without any pressure on him. Yeah, morning, Smitty. Morning, Ollie. Morning, everyone. Uh, good to be with you again. I've just been spending my morning watching Barmy Army videos to get me fired up. I'm absolutely pumped for this. <laughs> uh, you raise you raise a good point, though. It is, uh, and I know we always we see pictures of say the Basin Reserve pitch two days out, and it's very green. But you know, seeing the Gabba pitch with with quite a green tinge on it about 36 or so hours ago uh, was a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, look, what I would say, I'm, I'm kind of with Ollie. I've, I've got to say, I think it's firmly in Australia's hands if, as we look at the two squads anyway. I think where England uh, is, is particularly hampered is the batting. They've got Joe Root and they've got Ben Stokes, obviously. Outside of that, though, you know, you're resting on guys like Johnny Bairstow and Joss Butler, uh, who, who can be prone to going through some, some pretty big form slumps and can be prone to, to being getting on top of by opposition bowlers. So I think their batting lacks considerably, uh, and Australia's bowling department, I think, is pretty strong across the board. So, yeah, I, I worry for, the, for that side of things for England, but I, I just want it to be close. I want it to be a close series. Uh, and talking about the Barmy Army, I'm a little bit disappointed because I'm assuming that they will be light on numbers as well. So I still hope we get the atmosphere, but, geez, it's just exciting to have the Ashes back, isn't it? Well, they have to throw all those Tim Payne lyrics in the bin, don't they? To be fair, they, they had that building, they had that building up nicely, guy. Uh, nah, to be honest, still, they oh, can I, still keep them flying around, Smithy. They can still <laughs> still keep them flying around. I look forward to um, the coverage of this. I always do. I think Australia cover cricket really well. But one of the things they will focus on in the field in particular is uh, is Pat Cummins, the captain, uh, and they'll also look at uh, Steve Smith, the vice captain. Uh, and now this, of course, this new regime is going to be severely tested, Guy. It certainly is. Uh, and I was just talking about that with a colleague uh, moments ago, actually, that you know that they, they've they gone with Pat Cummins, who, or who I guess uh, seems like one of, uh, how do I put it, one of the nicer Australian bowlers. You know, usually you get fiery fiery guys in the Australian lineup. He seems like one of the more down-to-earth, nicer guys. We thought the same thing about Tim Payne, though, and then he obviously went off his nut at, at, at Ravi Ashwin during that Australian, uh, during that Indian tour. So, I don't know, maybe he's got that streak in him somewhere. Oh, I do find the Steve Smith thing very interesting. Uh, I think that's another, another place where perhaps the Barmy Army can get stuck into him. Uh, I don't know who else they would have gone with. Maybe someone like Manus Labushain, but... Uh, yeah, I, I do find putting Smith in there, considering everything that they've been through, is, is an interesting decision. Uh, a lot of pressure on, on those two guys, particularly Cummins, to rise to the occasion and, and try and keep that earned in Australia. So where for you, Ollie, is, is the winning of, of this series? And we'll just look at the first test in particular. Is it the both uh, uh, 
top order batsmen against various bowling attacks with the new ball. Where, where do you, who do you see the key players, the key the key matchups here? Yeah, well, I think Guy touched on it before. Um, you know, outside of Joe Root and um, and you know a couple of others in, in that England lineup, Ben Stokes obviously. Um, they're light on batting, and of course, you know Australia have got a very very handy bowling lineup. And if that gavel wicket is as green as it looked. Um, you know, 24 hours ago or 36 hours ago, then I think England is going to be in for a rough old time. Um, you know, Pat Cummins, I know Mitchell Stark's been a little bit below his best and, and your mate Warney's been calling him for, for him to be dropped uh, for the past few weeks, Smithy. But, um, you know, with, with him back in Australian conditions and uh, with a new ball in his hand, I think he's going to wreak havoc uh, once again. So I just don't think England can bat deep enough against the quality um, Australian bowling lineup. So uh, I think that you know, if the other pitches as green uh, in a couple of hours as it, as it has looked, um, that could be England's undoing. I reckon. Okay, uh, we'll leave the Ashes there. We'll go uh, quickly to Trudy for a news break. When we come back, uh, some some rugby issues to talk through as well. Talk big opinions. The panel. Well, believe it or not, gentlemen, Simon has texted in and said, my two favourite panellists, thanks for bringing them together in an arranged marriage this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez, we'll take that. Uh, Can you you give Simon a prize, Smithy? Give Simon a prize. What a man. Yeah, we're just going to the prize uh, prize cupboard uh, as as we speak. Don't worry about that. Hey, um, (laughs) here's an an interesting one. People will not, uh, some people will not know this, but... um, Former Sirapa guy Havel will be very, very aware of the fact that uh, Ollie Ritchie, Ollie Ritchie, uh, in his younger days, is a fantastic young rugby player uh, and a teammate of one world, one world Jordan. Oh, and uh, here Ollie, we you, go. Smitty, you will be you pleased to, will you pleased to know, Ollie, that um, when you turned right at the uh, junction and went to play, to the media, he turned left and stayed mm. with rugby. Uh, and now he's the World Rugby Player Breakthrough Player of the Year. Fully deserved. Yeah, look, and it was a tough decision um, for me to choose journalism over a professional footy <laughs> career. Really. Um, honestly, the, the contracts and the offers were certainly lining up, but I thought, actually, I want to do journalism. I want to be reporting on these guys instead. Uh, yeah, look, a very handy footy player at, at Christchurch Boys High Smithy. Most, most of them that come through that, that way are. Uh, and he has just gone on to, to continuously deliver um, a really sort of bright spot for the All Blacks in a year that uh, a lot of them would, would soon forget um, the way he just kind of made something out of nothing, um, and he's done that a lot for the Crusaders. We've seen it before, but he just continued to do it um, for the All Blacks, and, and you know he's fully deserving uh, of that award, and I think we can put that back to his, his rugby education at, um, at Christchurch Boys High School. Just another one excelling on the world stage. Hey, guy. Sorry, um, what's the what's the current, uh, in the last two years, what's happened in the Boys High cross-college fixture? Just remind me. Yeah, well, the last two years where we've been kind of crippled and disrupted by COVID, I don't really think we can count those two, Guy. Is the factory broken, is it? Something's happened at the at the conveyor belt in the factory. Mate, the factory will continue to churn them out, baby. Don't you worry. We'll just, we just <laughs> wait for the next first five to come through the ranks. Time is probably regretting that text now, Smithy, having heard this chat for the last <laughs> night. In fact, someone else has just texted in and said, I think Simon needs to get out more. 
Oh, brilliant. Absolutely, uh, absolutely brilliant. But, I mean, uh, this award, actually, to be to be perfectly uh, serious about this, it's only been uh, around since 2015, and uh, Nehemil Nascada has won it, Rico Iwani has won it, so Guy Haveld, uh, all allegiances aside, uh, I think it's pretty well uh, well justified, isn't it? I mean, uh, every time Will Jordan touches the ball, yeah. we sit on the edge of our seat. Uh, he has been, for me, the shining light in the back three area. You nailed it there, Smithy. He, he's the type of guy that when he gets the ball, you you are excited by the potential of something to happen. He does it more frequently than not. He breaks tackles. He might not score a try every time, but he breaks tackles. He makes space. He finds gaps that seemingly aren't there. He's an exceptional talent, uh, seemingly a, a, a kind of a, a very smart rugby player beyond his years, I'd say, belying his, his experience at that at that ultimately international level, uh, he seems to have an eye for everything. Uh, he is a he is a stunning talent, uh, and and once or when if the, the All Blacks sort themselves out a bit more, uh, you just start to wonder what more he could produce as well when he's on the end of of, of some real um, some real slick backline play on a more frequent occasion. He is a freak and a real talent, and uh, yeah, I, I, I've got nothing more to say. I think he absolutely deserves that award. Good on him. I. Uh... This, this, your, your combination certainly is uh, drawing some uh, comment, fellas, as we speak. Uh, a fellow by the name of Jamie Wall has just come in. You might well know him. He's also been a panellist on a regular... <laughs> he says there's an, ab- an absolute punish right now on SENZ Mornings. A punish is on. <laughs> At least we're at least, um, and at least we know we've got two listeners, which is great. Hey, here's the other thing, uh, fellas. Um, on, on a downside, eh? and it is a downside, um, the revelation from uh, Te Kurenata Rengabate uh, uh, about uh, her mental breakdown on the recent tour for, for the Black Ferns in Europe. Uh, this is a bit of a revelation uh, from our point of view. It's not something that the rugby union will look forward to reviewing either, I would imagine. So we'll go to you first, uh, Guy, on this one. Uh, this, is, this could be a headline maker. Well, it already is, isn't it? It's very concerning uh, from, from both sides really I, I, um, Chris Lindrum was very strong on it yesterday, I thought he fronted very well um, it sounds like they're going to do a thorough review, look I, I, Ollie will probably know more about this, he would have heard from uh, from from more rugby people, I don't have that, that many insiders in terms of rugby but what I would say is that to me from the outside in and, and obviously we've only heard so far one side of the story because um, uh, Glenn Moore hasn't, hasn't really given his side yet what I would say from the outside in, it seems to me like this is a this is a one-on-one situation where maybe something has gone wrong between these two uh, over time. It seems like um, I don't condone if these are true. I don't condone anything that's been said um, from him to her if those allegations are true. But to me, from the outside in, it seems like this is a one-on-one situation that has got quite ugly, and uh, something needs to be done to sort it out. It's it's disappointing. It's sad. Um, and as I say, uh, I'll be interested to see what happens from this New Zealand rugby, from this independent review in terms of, of that black platforms tour. Uh, unfortunately, anything involving uh, NZ rugby at this kind of level, uh, Ollie, is a target for the media. It, it has to be. And well, what's your take on it? Yeah, well, it's, it's another headache that New Zealand rugby didn't need. Um, you know, Chris Lindstrom probably thought he was going to ease into his summer break. Uh, not not so far. Yeah, look, I I, I agree with Guy. It's very much a, a one-on-one 
uh, kind of situation here. And by all accounts, Glenn Moore is very well regarded and well respected uh, in that Blackburns camp. He is a, um, a very good coach. He said did not get the results they wanted uh, on that Northern tour, and, and, and that wasn't great uh, performance-wise. But look, he, he, by all accounts, has the, the utmost respect of that Blackburns um, dressing room. Um, he, he is a very good coach. So something has gone down here with... Uh, with these two, which is, is obviously now playing out publicly and, and getting rather ugly, which is which is quite sad. Um, you know, the Blackfins are, are 10 months out from a World Cup defence uh, and they need to be pouring everything into that World Cup defence. Um, so New Zealand Rugby needs to go through an honest and open process here with both of these guys um, and, and try and get to the bottom of, of what has gone on because it is not something that they will want hanging over them or continuing uh, much longer than it already has. OK, here's one for you that um, you probably haven't been too warned about, so uh, this will be good to, to get your instant thought uh, about this. We'll, we'll start with uh, with you, Guy. Um, a really good, uh, interesting article from Mark Reason this morning, um, lauding the captaincy ability and the leadership qualities of Kane Williamson, but having a bit of a crack at Tom Latham. Um, I'm not sure that's warranted on the basis that every time that Latham captains the side, he doesn't have Williamson. Uh, every time Williamson captains the side, he mm. has himself and he has Latham. So uh, I'm not sure that that uh, is uh, that fair. So uh, where, does, uh, where does Kane Williamson rank for you as all-time captains, Guy Havel, uh for New Zealand cricket? Oh, it's a good question, Smithy. It's a very good question. I, I had actually just read that Mark Reason article. I saw it pop up, pop up on stuff and Look, Mark, someone who who, who has a you know polarises opinion. Uh, you either vehemently disagree with him, or you tend to vehemently agree with him. There's no real middle line there. Uh, look, I I I think Kane Williamson is a fantastic captain. Uh, I think he's probably our third best captain. If I still, I, well, I was going to say I would still say that Stephen Fleming is probably number one. I think it's probably close between him and Brendan McCullum. I thought uh, Fleming's tactical nous was pretty strong. McCullum's aggressive approach. And the way that he turned New Zealand, or partly his, his, his doing, turned New Zealand's fortunes around, uh, will go down as, as a massive turning point in our cricket history. Uh, and saying that, I, I think it's incredibly rough on Tom Latham. Uh, as you say, when he is the captain, he doesn't have Dane Williamson. Uh, this is this was a one-off test, or you know, in, in his case, of captaining, captaining a one-off test in Mumbai. Uh, you've lost your best batsman. Uh, your batting is 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 across the board pretty terrible. You're up against it straight away. Uh, I don't think there was much that captaincy would have done to get you very close in that test. I think it came down to poor application at the crease, um, poor batting across the board, uh, and maybe some slightly off bowling from, from a couple of guys who, who were running in. I don't think uh, pinning it on Tom Latham is very fair. The other time that he has had captaincy, he's been pretty strong. And look, let's be honest, he, he's a vital part of that leadership group, you see him in conversations with Kane Williamson a lot. So I think his leadership uh, is, is very solid. And uh, if he is around a bit longer than Kane Williamson, I think he would probably be the obvious guy to take over when that time comes. Oh, he's the heir apparent. There's no doubt about that, um, uh, Ollie. I, I, I don't know about what, what your thoughts are on... I go back to Jeff Howarth because I, I played under Jeff Howarth. Never played under Brennan McCullum. Admired what he did. Never played under Stephen Fleming. Admired what he did. And so... Uh, Two totally um, different captains in their own right, and that's the beauty of captaincy. You bring something different to it uh, each time. Uh, what about Williamson from your perspective? 
Uh, yeah, very good captain, um, Smitty. And I think, like I was saying, would be absolutely in the, in the top three. He's the only one that's won New Zealand a, a World Cup or World Championship. So he, he, he gets that tick uh, that, that none of the others do. Um, but yeah, and that green with, with, with Guy, uh, very unfair to, to lay any blame at, at Tom Latham's feet, I would have thought. Um, and if anything, that would be um, a, a good experience for, for Tom Latham, having to captain in those conditions and, and when you're under the, the immense pressure that the Black Caps were um, in Mumbai, um, you know, depending on how, how Kane Williamson's elbow recovered. Um, it sounds like Latham might get another chance to captain and maybe that's a good thing. You know, it, it gives a, Kane Williams has a chance to rest, but you know, gives Tom Latham a little bit more time in the saddle, a little bit more time in that captaincy role just to get uh, a little bit more comfortable and a, a little bit more used to what, what comes with being the Black Caps test captain because he absolutely is um, the heir apparent to, to Kane Williamson, no doubt about that. And, and won't it be great to see just another boy's high boy uh, at, at the top of the game? <laughs> oh, can't end there, Smithy. Crikey. Oh. No, I'm not... <laughs> I'm I'm not going to end there, guy, because Richard has come in and he's going to give you the last say this morning. And I don't really know who who Richard is from this point of view, but he obviously knows you very well. And and I don't quite know what he's referring to, but uh, he says, "Smithy, to guy, is is mini golf golf to him?" After that one, honestly. What a what an absolute stitch up this is! Is this Ollie Ritchie just going by some sort of pseudonym, texting in while I've been answering no, 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 your uh, answer, it, answer it honestly. Answer it honestly. Oh, Actually, I think Look, you guys I, are breaking up. I can't quite hear you. What's going on? I'm, I'm, oh, no, I can't. I can't. I'm going to have to go. Anyway, I've got nothing else to say to you guys apart from thank you very much. Good luck, have a great Christmas, and to you, Guy Havelt, uh, the hat's gone round here at SENZ, and yes, you will be getting a stepladder for Christmas. All the best, enjoy it. So, uh, there we have, uh, there, we, there, we, there we have the panel, absolutely brilliant this morning, a lot of humour, but a lot of common sense and deep thought as well, so uh, we love that, that's perfect. Uh, 10.45 here on SENZ, uh, a couple of texts to talk about when we come back, and then uh, Louis, of course, before 11 o'clock, and the TAB. And gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Well, an honour indeed. We have the captain of the good oil and Mark Clayton with us this morning. And uh, the day after the day that was his 60th birthday, we are told congratulations, sir. I hope you had a big day. Yeah, a couple of big days leading into it, Smithy, but uh, normal transmission resumes now. No one gives a toss about the next 364 days. He's just back doing the dishes and the washing, and yeah, you enjoy while you can. Well, the day after uh, is uh, a race day at Hastings today. Clado, give us something, please. Okay, race six. Now, this is the, probably the best maiden race of the day, and we're going to have a crack in it. So, I don't know if I'm mad or... Bullish, but uh, the money's come for 13 Andromeda from the O'Sullivan Scott team. Sam Whitley aboard. It's drawn nicely. Barrier three. They opened up ten dollars yesterday, and I noticed yesterday they climbed into it straight away. So still five fifty two ten. So still great each way. Billy was Andromeda in the six on the card. The Hawks Bay Twilight meeting today, Smitty. Might be able to pop yeah, it's a Hawks Bay Hawks Bay Twilight. Yeah, I just might do that. Clado. The other thing, of course, uh, to bear in mind is that. Uh, 
that it's a huge day all of a sudden now at Tarapa come the weekend. Oh, it certainly is. Yeah, with that Group 1 being moved north of Captain Cook Stakes and uh, Woolwich Trainers Association President Sean Clotworthy on the show on Saturday, so looking forward to that. But, um, yeah, a couple of extra noms and, yeah, a bit of a shame, you know, transferring it from Trenton to Tarapa. A lot of these horses can't make the trip and a couple of pulled out, but, hey, horses like Royal Performer get a chance to nominate and not too far from home, so Bob Barnsley's Won the biggest weight for age race at Tarapa with Royal Performer, the Herbie Dyke, earlier this year. So mm. might work out OK for Bob Barnes. It might do, Clado. Thanks very much for stepping in this morning. Uh, have a great week uh, celebrating that 60th. Uh, we go across to uh, Pip Morris uh, representing the TAB today. Pip, am I reading it right? No greyhounds today? No greyhounds today, yeah. The front near Smithy on a Wednesday. Good morning to you. Still plenty to look forward to, though. $25,000 late quaddy there out of Hastings. Bonus back races on one and two. And, of course, it's the Ashes kicking off, so really looking forward to that. Mm. They've got bonus back on that as well. So you can uh, place a pre-match top run score a bit. And if your uh, player gets second or third highest in the team, you can get a refund up to $50 in a bonus bet. And there's plenty of um, power plays on there as well. Don't mind uh, Labu Shakni there for the top run score either at around $4. Look forward to it. Uh uh, Pip, so enjoy the day off the Greyhounds, but uh, I imagine you've got plenty on your plate anyway. So thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, it is coming up 11 o'clock here on SENZ. Really going close into the ashes. Have a look at the English squad after the break with Ali Martin from The Guardian. Your night, summer or winter. He's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, it's 11.03 here in New Zealand, but uh, all eyes on uh, Brisbane this afternoon at the Gabba, especially for cricket fans, sports fans really. Uh, it is one of the great rivalries in sport, and another chapter begins to be written this afternoon. So uh, we're going to check in with uh, Ali Martin now, who's the cricket writer for The Guardian, uh, who's on duty in Australia, of course. Uh, they go in there, throng the media from uh, England to follow uh, England, wherever they go, particularly for this appointment, there's no doubt about it. So uh, it's a big good morning to you, Ali. Nice to catch up with you again. Morning, Smithy. Great to hear your voice. Yeah, hey, mate, interesting. Um, we, we've seen Australia play their hand very early on in the piece. They've, it's all been about uh, Australia, really, from our point of view, across the ditch here with the pain episode, etc., the, the new captaincy. Meanwhile, under the radar, England seem to have been just going about their business. How have you mapped their build-up? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, in terms of the actual cricket play, it's been really truncated by the by the rain that's fallen in, in Queensland. And, you know, they've probably only got about seven sessions of, of actual sort of middle middle practice or middle cricket. It, look, it started to become a a bit farcical towards the end as a you know with batsmen coming back in after they after they'd failed and what have you so it's it's been hugely limited and that, that's got to be a slight concern for England albeit the Aussies are in a reasonably similar boat having come back late from winning the uh, T20 World Cup themselves and with with a few more sort of first team players in that T20 squad so both teams come into it a little bit underprepared a little bit undercooked um but England uh, well I mean ever since they announced their squad in October and that was kind of met with a bit of pessimism. Things have started to just very small bits have started to go their way. Ben Stokes mm. coming back in is obviously huge. Uh, we've seen Australia have a very late change of captain in the, with Pat Cummins coming in for, for Tim Payne. And um, they won't have to go to Perth anymore. That, that test match is going to be moved, the fifth test. So they won't have to face the sort of the bouncy 
bouncier conditions there that they've struggled with in the past. So there's um, the idea of two pink ball tests will please Jimmy Anderson. So um, there's just a few little elements coming in, even if the Aussies are clearly the favourites at the moment. Well, let's look at the uh, the inclusion, and uh, I, I guess a, a major one from my point of view is the presence of Ben Stokes uh, in the side. Uh, tell us what that means to England's cause. I mean, it's it's huge, and and the reasons for that are sort of uh, you know a myriad, really, because you've got a you've got a bit of a Swiss Army knife of a player there. I mean, he can he you know he's in terms of a batter, he holds his own. He's probably one of two bankers in the side for runs alongside Joe Root. You know, he's fast, medium. It's very hard to get the ball out of his hand. He's a pretty relentless sort of shot bowler in that respect. Um, and the leadership side of it as well. You know, he's a leader and a presence on the field um, and probably something that was lacking four years ago when Joe Root didn't have him alongside him. Um, and I think he, he takes a huge amount of sort of burden off Joe Root, who can just focus a bit more on his own output, which has been pretty stellar this year. Um, and he also gives him a bit of a presence on the field. And I think, you know... The Australians themselves have admitted that, you know, there are kind of nightmares, still have nightmares about that innings in 2019 at Headingley. And um, mm. it's a place where Ben made his debut eight years ago, um, announcing himself to the world of the century and also a five-wicket haul in his first tour. So um, they're conditions he enjoys as well. So it is huge, but it's also probably worth tempering those expectations with the fact that he hasn't played cricket for four months um, and... By that warm-up game the other day, which, as I say, sort of turned into glorified middle practice, he's very light on cricket. So um, it's going to be fascinating to see how he goes. Uh, interesting to look at uh, England's uh, eleven that, that they will uh, obviously confirm at the toss. Australia have been up front with theirs very early on in the piece. It will not include Jimmy Anderson. Now, I think this is my personal belief on this, knowing uh, the next test is a day-night affair where the ball will swing, I think this is a bit of a masterstroke. Uh, from England, providing they can get out of this one. I think uh, if they get to Adelaide with Jimmy Anderson fully fit in those conditions, this uh, this might be a, a real tick in the column for them. I think it's a good move. Yeah, it's, it's, I must admit, when, when the sort of, I say the news broke yesterday, I'd, I'd actually, we'd sort of been trailing it for about a week or so that he was behind. He, he hit the hit the tour with a bit of a calf niggle. Um and that probably set him back about two weeks worth of bowling at the start of the tour. So he's um, he's just a bit behind the others in terms of actual preparation. He has been bowling at full pelt in the Gabonets this week. But England, you're right, they're kind of they're looking at kind of selective uh, uh, selection for this one. So they're you know really really sort of trying to deploy guys where they think they'll do best. And 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 that maybe could be accused of overthink. But they're not the same as Australia. Australia have a clear first choice attack, don't they? Of Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, and Lyon. Whereas England. I think they're probably looking at the way India won here last year, you know, with a real sort of squad mentality um, and rotation. Obviously, some of that was enforced for India. But, um, yeah, England are looking to sort of deploy guys where they think they're going to be best placed. But, um, but yeah, there is a big call to make this morning, which is between Stuart Broad and Jack Leach. And if Stuart Broad doesn't play, that'll be the first time that either he or Jimmy Anderson have been in the England test team for five years. And um, the first time in 37 Ashes tests as well. Well, that would be a massive bonus for David Warner if Stuart Broad didn't play. I mean, uh, if ever anyone has troubled Warner on a regular basis, it is Stuart Broad. And, uh, of course, with left-handers in the side, and he bowls so well to them, uh, that would that not be a gamble, Ali? It would, but it, at the same time, it looks like the, the only way he can really get into the team is in a five-man pace attack. Um, and that is something which is something that England have deployed overseas in the past. They won in Johannesburg in 2020. 
um, with a, with a with a five prong pace attack and no spinner. But um, but I think it would also probably give the Australians, you know, just a, a diet of right arm seam up. Really, uh, Mark Woods the point of difference with his with his extra pace, but but it would possibly be very samey. And Joe Root's coming to this series saying, you know, we need to do things differently to to how we've done it before. You know, the, the results speak for themselves. The last two Ashes tours to Australia have seen England lose nine of the ten tests. So um, it would be a huge call. Uh, and I I mean, particularly, as you say, with the David Warner factor, you'd think you'd want to get broad and early, an early sizer at David Warner. Um, but, um, but yeah, but perhaps for the balance of the side and... Um, you know, to give Joe Root a slow bowling option. Jack Leach comes in and, and Stuart Broad, like Jimmy Anderson, has to wait his turn. Mm, yeah, that may well be the case. That's, that is a, that's a very interesting thing for me to look for uh, at uh, half an hour before the uh, the game begins. So, um, obviously, um, this for Joe Root is a bit of a, I think, a bit of a, a watershed series, um, particularly in Australia, where he has never scored three figures. Uh, so, Joe Root, the captain principally still has to be Joe Root, the batsman. That's absolutely right. And and to be honest, he couldn't wish for better personal form coming into this series. He's got six test hundreds already this year. He's got 1,400 runs. Um, and I think the next best in the England side is Rory Burns, who's about 1,000 runs behind this year. So that really shows England's reliance on Root and how they really need him to have, a I don't know, probably a 500-run minimum series to, to, to really be in the contest here. Well, Ali, um, you've been covering uh, English cricket for a long time, and one of the hallmarks of England's sides used to be uh, a settled top order. Uh, you know, I, I go back to, you know, as far back in my days as, as Gooch and, and the likes of uh, Gower around the team, and then, you, you, of course, you work your way through your, your Athertons, your Vaughans, etc., your Strausses, uh, and, and then you come to uh, perhaps the most unsettled period of a top three in English cricket for quite some time, so... For me, uh, that's a target area, an obvious one for Australia, but an important one for England. It is, it is, and it's um, you know I probably you, you probably say out of, the th- out of the top three, which are you know names that are not going to sort of leap off the page or strike fear into the hearts of Australians, is is, is Rory Burns, Hasib Hamid, and uh, and David Milan coming in at number three now. I mean, Burns is a is an extremely sort of uh, scrappy kind of you know really real sort of nuggety, flinty kind of kind of opener. He's not the prettiest to watch. Um, he's pretty unorthodox in his setup, but he but but ultimately he he has found a way in the past, and he um, he already does have a hundred against this attack. Edge Baston two years ago, Hamid is the the kind of one that people are sort of slightly holding their breath because he was the you know the, the sort of the, the prodigy who came through and. 2016 in India and, and sort of really grabbed everyone's attention and, and a, a combination of injury and loss of confidence and form really set him back and it took a move from Lancashire to Nottinghamshire with a I believe a small spell in, in Wellington club cricket in between to kind of reboot his uh, reboot his game but he's back there um, the big question for him really is um, he's, he plays very low he's got very low hands he's a kind of he'd almost be a sort of subcontinental specialist so that's where we've seen him do his best work in test cricket so far but um he made his comeback against India in the summer at home, and um, there were a couple of encouraging century partnerships alongside Burns. So, yeah, it's 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 a very sort of it's a very fresh uh, opening partnership there, and one that's sort of pr- probably still working it out. And then and then well, it's Australia, David Milan at number yeah. three, who's again, yeah, well, D- yeah, David yeah. Milan's again. He's come. He's just come back in, but that is that is pretty much off the basis of his tour here four years ago, where he was one of the few. English batsman to stand up. He made a 
century in Perth and averaged averaged over forty, which is you're probably going to need more from your batsman out to get the win out here. But um, but but yeah, he's a kind of you know a, a much more seasoned professional in his thirties. Has played a lot of international cricket across, uh, particularly the T Twenty formats. But but essentially, he's um, you know he's used to the arena and um, and yeah, and it's up to those guys really to give Joe Root the best protection at the top. Get the shine off that kookaburra ball, get it, get it soft, and um, let guys like Joe, Joe Root and Ben Stokes come in and, and capitalise. So, if I had to pick a potential series breaker uh, for either side, uh, who, who who would you go for, Ali, um, uh, for Australia and, and of course for England? Who who would be for you the key men who just simply have to deliver in this particular five match series? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think from England, from an English point of view, View that, that, that Ben Stokes brings so much to this England team in terms of allowing them to play the spinner, which we believe is probably going to be the case today, uh, and just his general presence and that that sort of the way he, he you know he he's and is really set up for Southern Hemisphere conditions. Although I'd probably go for Joe Root, as I said at the top. I mean, he he's going to have to have you know a really big series to match a guy like Steve Smith, who we kind of know is going to score runs. It's it's really how. Whether whether it's kind of one of those celestial series where he's averaging, you know, seventy and making three three hundred, three big hundreds, or, or whether England can do a job like they did, uh, like India did at the start of the year, which was to keep him down to a, a mere mortal average of about forty. So, um, yeah, I think I think they're, they're, it's probably the, it's probably the big two batsmen, isn't it? It's Joe Root and Steve Smith. Um, but notwithstanding this fascinating subplot of Pat Cummins taking over the caps and see the first. Specialist seaman to do it for Australia since 1956. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be the rare time when we're going to see captain versus captain right out there in the middle doing battle directly. Uh, Ali, I'm looking back at uh, old footage of uh, absolutely jam-packed stadiums in Australia. Uh, the Ashes always attracts that. Uh, and part of that, of course, a big part of that is the Barmy Armoury and the English flavour that's added to it. What do you know of... The levels of support that are able to come round, uh, come down this time around. Well, the, the early reports I've seen, um, th- there is obviously a big expat community here, and and, and England are hopeful of getting a, about a thousand England fans in in the ground from 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 around the sort of the Brisbane sort of wider wider region. But you know, in in a in a in a, in a ground of thirty five thousand, and and you know, not as condensed in in a sort of section of the ground like they've been before, that that will be hugely diluted. And that, yeah, that's. I mean, that's. It's something that England are going to have to get their heads around. They're so used to having such a passionate support away from home, and you know, the, as much as some people find them a bit boorish at times, that the, there are moments and passages of play when the ball goes flat and um, and the crowd does lift them. So, you know, they're going to have to sort of find the find that from within. I think, albeit with a with a bit of a smattering of, of support out there for them. Now, Ali, um, and one of the other things uh, I, I think is so important for English cricket at the moment is. Uh, uh, the news uh, around the game is so negative, uh, you know, uh, there's no doubt about it. It, it can't be denied. Um, every day or every week we see a new headline of, of some sort of person being uh, implicated in uh, in the racism type uh, squabbles, etc. Uh, so uh, this is really important uh, on the field, I think, um, to, to get that somewhat out of the, out of the agenda. Yeah, yeah. Albeit, it's, it's obviously a subject that shouldn't be ignored, but it, it will be a welcome break in the clouds just to just to see guys walk out and uh, and you know play the game that we all love, and it's you know it's, it's a game that we want to be for everybody. So it's a hugely important passage of for 
time for English cricket. And um, yeah, you, you can you, you sense that, that, that change is happening. You could ask questions about why that change didn't happen sooner and how long it's taken the English game to wake up. There's a kind of there's a pretty glaring statistic that I think that, that you know 30% of um, recreational cricketers in England uh, are from a South Asian background, and that number goes down to 4% at the professional level. There's a bottleneck there, um, and the game really needs to open up. Sure does. It sure does, uh, and uh, I think it will uh, as a result of what's happened. But uh, the main thing, of course, now uh, for us on this side as well, Ali, is is, uh, is the Ashes. Thanks so much for your insight this morning. Mm. Uh, we've heard so much about Australia, so it's been great to catch up with you, mate, and uh, and get your perspective. Uh, let's hope you enjoy uh, your time in Australia. It should be fantastic. Fantastic. Cheers. Cheers, Smithy. Take care. Cheers, uh, Ali, uh, Ali Martin there, who just uh, is... Uh, one of the very good writers, uh, he's uh, a writer for The Guardian, they love their cricket, uh, uh, the English journalists, and they're so passionate about their writings, um, some of them are, uh, are so, so damn talented, uh, the way they put cricket into their language, uh, it's worth reading, and uh, there'll be plenty of good copy, excellent copy coming out of this series, it's 11.18 here on SENZ, quite a few texts have come in, chance to read those out uh, before 11.30. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, the texts that have uh, come in this morning, uh, there's uh, a heap of them. Uh, Craig says, I'm glad you paid tribute to uh, Captain Jeff Howth. Always looked like he was reassessing after every ball bowled. I recall he endured a lot of public criticism when he suffered a long, dry run with the bat. From memory, he took one test wicket as a bowler too, uh, but he made it a good one, the late great. Uh, English captain and all-rounder Tony Gregg. So, uh, yeah, uh, I grew up watching Howard said Jared, and whilst he was an elegant batsman, his form at times was questionable, but it was his astute captaincy that kept his place. Coney was as astute and with a great team. Fleming also was as clever. Baz was a modern-day captain who was aggressive and achieved some great results. We've had some great captains, but uh, not sure I rate Kane as our best. Uh, Smithy, when England and South Africa were number one over the past 10 years, they won or drew series in India and both won series in Australia. We haven't gone close in either country. Surely that tells you something needs to change with the prep before touring there. Re-subcontinent spinners here and uh, tall quicks from Australian academies, both in the Plunkett Shield. We need to to match practice against those particular skills. Uh, And that is not uh, wrong by any stretch of the imagination either. Uh, just a, uh, no, we've had that one. Just a question: Is uh, England, India, our bunny team? Uh, yeah, they are um, outside of India, and we're theirs uh, when it comes to that. So uh, interesting stories uh, coming through out of the ashes. So we look forward to that. And the point I make about James Anderson not playing in this one, he will be rearing to go at uh, Adelaide when it's a day-night game, and that is crucial from England's point of view because him with the pink ball, I think he could wreak havoc in a fresh state. Uh, amongst the England side. So if you look at that England side, we've we talked with Ali Martin about Burns, Hamid and Milan. The key spot for them is will they go for Stuart Broad? Uh, that gives them five seamers. In effect, that's a total seam attack if you say that uh, Ben Stokes is able to bowl a few overs. That gives them five. Uh, that gives them Butler at number seven, Ollie Pope at six, Stokes at five and Root at four. So that's a fairly solid four, five, Six seven. Although this is a, a really important series, I feel for Ollie Pope, he has to deliver in that freedom spot of number six. Uh, Wokes is a truly classy all rounder. He'll play well. He's combative. He will play well in Australia. There's no doubt about it. 
Uh, do they play Jack Leach or Stuart Broad? If that's the decision for me, uh, I, I want to see Broad attack David Warner. David Warner would, would absolutely love to hear uh, that Stuart Broad's not in the starting lineup. I'm sure that gives him a bit more freedom. Uh, and I, I don't really think that um, Jack Leach, as a finger spinner, uh, will trouble Australia too much traditionally at the Gabba, particularly one which looks so green at the start of the match. So um, that is my perspective on the England team. I'd like to see Broad in there and have a real crack, a real fly at Australia with conditions to suit. Uh, other cr- cricketing news, uh, John, you've just come through. Have you got I another have. weather update? or N- It's a weather off between you and Trudy, a weather off. I like a good weather off. I know. I bow to her superior weather knowledge, absolutely. I just put in Brisbane weather Google and then go to the most trustworthy site, whereas Trudy has got about 18 windows open. She's following people at the Gabba. She's following a different uh, weather forecast. So all my faith and trust in our news team, that is Trudy. I'm just wondering, Johnny Bairstow, not in the England eleven, and going with Ollie Pope. <coughs> Like, Johnny Bairstow's a dangerous cricketer, Smithy. Um, I don't know. Would he scare the Aussie bowlers more than Ollie Pope? I don't know. Uh, I, would say, I think it's a fifth, uh, what do you call it? Uh, six or one half dozen of the other situation, really. I don't think either of them have been uh, that startling uh, test match-wise for quite some time. So uh, I think Ollie Pope's better suited in that number six role. I think if I was going to play Johnny Bairstow, I'd be playing him more towards the top of the order. I think he's a better new ball player. Uh, so if a vacancy comes um, in the opening department or around about number three, I think Johnny Bairstow comes into the frame there. Hey, he's a fine player. He's got a hell of a record too, just by the by. He'd made a, he would have made nice New Zealand sides over the years. But uh, Johnny Bairstow uh, waiting in the wings, I think, this time around. So um, that, that's an interesting point of conjecture as well. Uh, I, I love the way Australia just came out two days ago and said, this is our team. Fancy naming that at the official opening of the Ashes series. And Pat Cummins can actually stand up and say, right, uh, uh, this is, uh, we mean to play well, and this is the 11 that we'll be playing uh, with in two days' time, not just tomorrow, in two days' time. Uh, so that, um, that's pretty cool. Uh, good football news uh, overnight, uh, John, uh, with the Phoenix having advanced beyond the FA, FFA Cup's uh, round of 32 only second time in the club's history, so the good start to the season continues. Yeah, they're doing bloody well, aren't they? And with a completely changed team from their Friday night game, very young side, I think an average age of about 22 or 23, and yeah, I think Louis Fenton crossed one over to Ben Wayne, who knocked it into the goal, so well done to them through to the last 16, and it's a funny competition, I think they play a non-A-League side next in the round of 16, but uh, before that they hit the pitch again, Smithy, on Friday night, so a busy time for both Phoenix teams across the Tasman. And uh, also in Rugby League news, uh, the Bulldogs have parted way, and this will be a common theme, I think, uh, parted ways with John Asiata following his refusal to be vaccinated against COVID-19. The NRL has not mandated the vaccine, but have allowed clubs to, and it's understood that Canterbury have become the first side to lose a player officially over the issue. He'd only just joined the Bulldogs, actually, on a one-year deal after playing 2021 with the Broncos. So I guess it's watched the space on that one. Yeah, that's freedom of choice for you. you got the freedom to not get the vaccine, but then everyone else has got the freedom to decide what they do with you then. And just with the way the rules are over Australia, if you're not vaccinated, you can't cross the border, you can't go into any stadiums, you can't play. So why would a club carry a player who can't play? So it's pretty pragmatic, really, from the Bulldogs. And, you know, you can get vaccinated if you want to, if you want a contract, but... He doesn't want to get vaccinated, so he doesn't want to contract. And we've had so many people asking on the text machine, Smithy, about our coverage of the Ashes on ECNZ. Um, We do have the rights for the Boxing Day test for the Ashes. We don't have the rights for today, 
but we do have the rights for the Boxing Day Ashes Test, and we're always after rights here for big games on SCNZ, so I wouldn't be surprised if we had some more Ashes uh, along the way. But at this stage, that's the first chance you'll have to hear the Ashes on SCNZ as the Boxing Day Test. Yeah, I would imagine uh, you could listen to it on the SENZ app, SEN app in Australia because they will be covering uh, the ball by ball on the SENZ network in Australia. So there will be a way where you can find it. The good news about uh, Stumping Smithy and playing Stumping Smithy is it's on now, so it's 0800 But John, to... To my knowledge, you don't have to be double-vaxxed to take us on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you make the rules, Smithy. It is your well. You're, actually, it's my nah. quiz, isn't it? So I'll make the rules. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm open to anyone calling through, and today is 150 bucks. It's a double jackpot, so don't waste your time. 0800 150 811, but will you choose cricket? Will you take on Smithy with cricket? Because he stumps everyone. So give it a crack now, eh, Smithy? Yep, absolutely. Give it a crack. 0800-150-811. And already uh, the lines are lighting up. That's great news. We'll be back shortly. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. I think this is history today on Stumped by Smithy. Uh, I don't think we've ever double jackpotted before. So 150 bucks worth of vouchers from the TAB could be yours. And some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And a guy who's been listening to SENZ all day. I heard him calling the breakfast team when I was driving into work at about quarter past six. And that is Charlie from Geraldine. Listening pays off, eh, mate? Well, uh, no, I, I, I couldn't have come back on the breakfast show because I was working and I'm just coming back from a customer now, so I was listening to Smithy talk to the, about the cricket, so yeah, why not bring in? Oh, good stuff, and you're first in line, mate. So, your three sports today are football, cricket and basketball. Do you dare? Football. Do you dare mm-hmm. choose cricket or football? Football, I'm not choosing cricket, I might as well fall on me sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've heard too many people get stumped. All right, let's go well, for it. Smithy would probably have to resign if I beat him at cricket. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay then. Uh, hey, just just before we get started here, Charlie, who's your football team? Oh, I'm a Geordie, mate. I'm a Newcastle United fan. Nice. Okay, well, and so that makes what Durham your cricket team, does it? No, actually, to be fair, Smithy, Durham weren't a first class cricket team when I was growing up, so. I'm, my best mate supported Yorkshire, so I took Lancashire. Oh, you, yeah, <laughs> so I okay. I supported Lancashire since I was a kid. Yeah. The, the red rose, the red rose, as opposed to the white rose. Okay, That's now we know mate. where you stand. We know, we know where you stand now, Charlie. Okay, let's get on with this, as the uh, the uh, dark destroyer would say on the chase. Let's get on with this, Bradley. Yep. All right, Charlie. I've actually been to Newcastle. Cool. Still can't understand the accent. But um, hopefully I'll understand your answers here. Question number one. What was the score in the Wellington Phoenix's first game in the Women's A-League at the weekend? <laughs> History was made by the Whoa. Women's Wellington Phoenix team. First game ever. Didn't they, didn't they get a point? Wasn't it, wasn't it 1-1? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct. Smithy, yeah, a chance for a stumping. Yeah, nil, nil, nil. How they say it in England, uh, they have the song over there, we have one, we have one, we have one, we have one. 
Well, they didn't have one. Uh, they drew nil all, Charlie. They drew nil all. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. You have been stumped, Charlie. Unlucky, mate, but thanks so much for listening and playing today. Fantastic. And we head down to Wellington, where Sam is waiting patiently. You would have known that about yes, the Phoenix Sam. woman, wouldn't you, Sam? No idea about football, mate. Oh, Smithy, oh, do we oh. change subject here? Do we allow him a new subject? Or do we stick well, with football? Well, you're going to get a lot of uh, um, complaints, John, but you are the quiz master. If you can handle the complaints, you make the call. It's your quiz. All right, Sam. Uh, I'm feeling... I'm, I'm, I'll give you options then. You can go cricket or basketball. We'll start with a clean slate. Uh, let's go cricket. All right. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Maybe you should have stuck with football. But anyway, question number one. Ross Taylor, he's played 110 tests for New Zealand, needs to play three more to hold the record. Which two players sit above Roscoe? Ooh. John Wright and Stephen Fleming. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, your chance again. Ah, there'd be utter carnage if I didn't know this one. It has to be Stephen Fleming and it has to be Daniel Vittori, surely. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. He's on a hat-trick. Unlucky, Sam. One out of two. Yep, yep, unlucky. Had to be two out of two, which means we head to Hamilton, to the Tron, where Ted is waiting. Would you like to stick with cricket or would you like to go back to football, Ted? Hat-trick. Could we go to basketball? <laughs> oh, could, we, could we go to basketball? Mm, yes. 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 Why not? All right. First question on basketball. Man, and Smithy on a hat trick. Steph Curry, he's closing in on the NBA record for the most three-pointers in history. Which retired basketballer tops the list ahead of Curry? Three-pointers? Yeah, who's sunk the most three-pointers in NBA history? I'll say Ray Allen. Jesus shit. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Oh, Ray amazing answer. And away it goes. You're not wrong, Smithy. That is an amazing answer. No wonder you wanted basketball, Ted. Beautiful. Yeah, I followed the oh. NBA. Oh, Ted, oh, Ted, Ted, Ted. Ray Allen, man, just he was automatic. I was searching for his name. I was searching for his name. Uh, and he got it. So well done, mate. You have uh, absolutely scooped the pool. One hundred. And fifty dollars worth of vouchers, TAB cash. So look, congratulations, mate, um, and vest well. Do well with it, and thanks for taking part. And stay on the line. And Brian will get your details. Those valuable one hundred and fifty dollar vouchers worth from the TAB, um, and all the very, very best. Uh, have a great Christmas as a result of that. Well done. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, man. Uh, well, we've got a comedian coming up next. That was almost funny. That was almost going to 200 bucks. I could sniff it. Uh, but Johnny took basketball. You gave him the opportunity. Now the barrage of complaining texts will come in, and they are to John Day, folks. John Day, double eight, double three. John Day, not Ian Smith, if you can possibly manage it. That would be great. Uh, when we return, we have got uh, a wonderfully funny man and a sporting nut as well in Guy Montgomery. The voice of sport in New Zealand. <laughs> Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Sports. No joke. We like sports and we don't care who knows. From Wimbledon to the Astrodome. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Football, football. But no, so I was researching in kilometres per hour, how quickly exactly can Usain Bolt run? And would anyone in this audience like to hazard a guess 
as, as to the number, in kilometres per hour, at top speed? I heard 36 first, we'll address 36, no. 76 is, that's too, he's a person, not a car, sir, no. <laughs> Truly one of the worst guesses I've heard. It's between, it's between 36 and 76. Does anyone know any numbers between? <laughs> I heard 42, and that's close enough. At 42, you have taken all of the fun out of the game. Uh, so, no, the correct speed, 44.72 kilometres per hour. Whoa! That is fast. That, I mean, that is like a car, not a car at full speed, but a, a car all the same. Like, that is, that is so fast that between the hours of 8 a.m., and 9.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. and 4 p.m. It would be illegal for Usain Bolt to run past an Australian school. Absolutely brilliant there, folks. That's the voice and the joke of Guy Montgomery who joins us this morning. Uh, hey, Guy, uh, thanks very much for coming on the show. Obviously, you're a sporting man. Do you focus a lot of your jokes, uh, a lot of your comedy around uh, sport itself? Well, first of all, I'd like to say a good morning to you, Ian. I'm a huge fan. And uh, secondly, I'd like to say, um, not especially, I don't write to sports, but I think... Obviously, like that Usain Bolt joke within, you know, like that was just me sitting around one afternoon just wanting to know exactly how fast a person can go and um, reverse engineering the joke from there. I think sports, especially if you, you know, if you love something truly, then you can come at it from a pretty um, informed and affectionate angle, which makes it some quite good takedowns. So it's quite a fun thing to joke about, but it's, it's not like, um, it's not a deliberate pursuit of sporting jokes. It's not. Okay, so uh, do you have a passion? We've, we've spoken to a number of, of comics already on the show who are, have got this passion for cricket. Do you share that? Yes, yes, I do. I, um, I'm, a huge, I'm, a, I'm a huge Black Caps fan, and it's obviously been an, um, what, an incredible, like, you know, I, I, I grew up, I was born in 88, so I sort of grew up, the, the Fleming captaincy was my... Um, that was when I was in my pomp as a cricket player and was was hoping to achieve something that wasn't just standing on stage and trying to be funny. Uh, and it's just been an incredible vintage and, like, you know, to align with the peaking, hope, well, hopefully not the peak across my entire life, but the peaking of, of the national sports team in that respect has been so good. And, like, you know, I love on Twitter, I remember watching the... Um, I went away with some friends so I could get away from the family to watch the full... Uh, final against India over at Lords and um, yeah I mean it's I'm a, yeah I love being on Twitter and sort of you can see which other comedians and which people around New Zealand have stayed up to, to commit you get a real community going on there it's good fun do you ever play the game at any serious level no 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 I was um, <laughs> I played it until I was 13 and then I was sort of natural I have natural hand eye but I um I had a, I never applied myself truly, and I played it until the age where, when other people were applying themselves, they started becoming uh, much better than me. And the balls—I was also late to puberty, and the balls started coming down much faster than I was comfortable with. So when I made a, a pivot to tennis, um, 
But fielding, I, I sort of tried to, not deliberately, but just incidentally, fielding was my best strength. So I sort of wound up modelling my game on Jonty Rhodes. I see. Well, that's a fair model. I was just going to say, that's an interesting one. Late to puberty, so um, people who are late to puberty, you would advise to avoid uh, bat and ball games and go to racket sports. No, no, no. I'd advise them to continue being brave. I just didn't want to get sconed by a, a, um, a cricket ball. I see. Okay. <laughs> hey, Guy, uh, what about the Ashes? Does that get you fired up? Uh, I know you're a Black Caps fan, but uh, the greatest rivalry yeah. uh, and one of them, it gets me yeah, fired yeah. up. What about you? Oh, absolutely. It's an interesting one. I mean, it's it's a difficult, like... First of all, I quite like the window for watching. There's a start at Brisbane, so it's at 1pm today, which is, that takes you through to evening time. You know, there's nothing quite like having test cricket on for company for however long it goes. Like, that India tour, those 5pm to 1am starts, it's just a fantastic way to spend a night in. So I'm I'm very excited. I don't really, like, I've got, I'm friends with several um, cricket head Australian comedians, and I'm in a thread with them. I'm the, I'm the sole New Zealander. And so for the, in the interest of sort of sports and uh, exchanging barbs, I think I'll be getting behind England. I mean, my instinct has always been to root against Australia. And uh, the, the closest that came to wavering was watching that Ashes, not Ashes, sorry, that um, the test documentary that they did through that period of transition when uh, there was Sandpaper Gate and then Tim Payne came back and it sort of humanised the Aussie team instead of just being these very talented tools. But um, I, w- I would really like to see them lose. You'd like to say, hey, look, I think a lot of us on this side would be to be fair. How'd you get started in comedy, by the way? What's that? How'd you get started in, in comedy? Oh, in comedy? Um, yeah. I don't know, man. I, 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 I always sort of thought I was uh, funny, and I'd spent a lot of time sort of uh, like working. I worked a long time in hospitality, and I do promotions in supermarkets and like, had a few media scraps, odds and ends, but I was I was avoiding really stirring down the barrel of what I wanted to do with my life for a while until all of my friends started graduating university and, and settling into their what would become their careers. And I, I, I realised I might get left behind. So I, I took a moment to think about what do I like doing the best and what am I the best at doing? And the, uh, the market equilibrium there in the crosshairs was being funny. And so I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll give that a couple of years and see if I can make anything of it. And I saved up what I had and I moved to Canada, to Toronto, Canada, and I did open mics every single night for a year. I'd, I'd set a minimum of 10 shows a week, and I was just all about collecting data. Um, and by the end of a year of doing that, when my visa ran out, I'd become not good, but no longer terrible, and i just kept going. Brilliant. Uh, and that, that means that gives you the opportunity now that Auckland has pretty much opened up again. Where can we find uh, Guy Montgomery? How can we check you out, mate? Uh, well, I'm actually, if you are in Auckland, I'm at the Classic tonight and on Saturday night, which is the, the comedy club up here in Auckland. Uh, and otherwise, if you punch my name into YouTube, if, you, if you're elsewhere, you'll, you'll find a few videos. I mean, you know, God willing, as things continue to open up, hopefully I'll get to, to travel around the country and do a few shows in some other places. But I'm I'm so excited to be back on stage. And well, we'll be excited to come and see you, mate. Hey, thanks very much for joining us this morning in uh, this little uh, comedy slot. Uh, enjoy getting to know you and uh, enjoy the ashes, eh? And, and uh, the follow-on from AJS Patel. How good was that? Oh, too much. Um, thanks, Ian. I really appreciate it. Have a great morning.
Yeah, same to you, Guy. Guy Montgomery there. Uh, he's our uh, comic subject for the week. Uh, in terms of serious people, though, uh, you put Mark Stafford in that bracket, and he's coming up very shortly to preview his afternoon with Staffy.